This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 25. Where will I get the money for college? Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious. Be stable. Be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of uh, your very favorite podcast. I'm your host, Mark Willis. In the studio with me today is our wonderful advisor, Holly Buck. Hello. All right, and we're going to get right into some sources for college aid. We've been uh, going through a mini-series here on how to pay for college without going broke in the process. And today's episode is all about how can we find sources of money for paying for college. So there's really four main sources of college aid, and we're going to talk about each one in turn. The first is the federal government, who typically gives Pell Grants and other types of grants to mostly Category 1 families uh, that we discussed in our last episode. Please go back to that episode if you'd like to learn more. Uh, Then there's also things like work-study programs, which is actually pretty awesome. I got to meet my wife uh, while I was uh, working on a work-study program. That was pretty cool. Uh, So this is uh, because if your kid goes off uh, to work off campus, if 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 your child's child's at college and goes to work off campus, any earnings that they might make on their off-campus job is actually going to count against them uh, in the following college year, whereas a work-study program doesn't penalize them for making money on campus. So also, by the way, 99% of the time, like my student job, uh, you really are just sitting there doing homework, you know, at a desk in a hall, you know, monitoring the hall or something. Holly, did you do a work study? I did not. Okay. Um, But what I'm hearing from you is work study can either either get you money or a wife. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, it's a, (laughs) it was a, it was a great employee benefit. So, (laughs) Uh, so yeah, also, like I say, I think that's just really a, a no brainer for a lot of folks. Uh, these jobs are in high demand. All, not every student, right, Holly, can get one of these uh, student work programs, but they're truly worth it. Uh, so that's the first is uh, uh, federal government money and Pell Grants and any work-study programs offered. The second source uh, of college aid is Stafford and Perkins Loans. So these are really the only two loans that your son or daughter can take out in their name without you having to be a co-signer. So when you stop and think about it, a loan is really only as good as the person borrowing it. And what kind of credit does a college, 18-year-old college student have? Not a lot. So most private money uh, college lenders are going to be looking for your, Mr. Mom or Dad, looking for your co-signing uh, on that loan. But Stafford and Perkins loans do not. A lot of people think that there's these magical student loans out there uh, that they're going to loan you the money at 1% interest, some unlimited amount, and you have, you know, uh, a bajillion years to pay it back. It just doesn't happen most of the time. Pretty much any loan on top of those, um, Stafford and Perkins, are going to be loans that mom or dad are going to have to co-sign for. And if your son or daughter can't get a job, uh, or if they decide at some point that just can't, college is, isn't for them, uh, then uh, now that's your loan. It's on your name, right? Mm-hmm. So those are the first two. What about number three and four? 
So number three are Parent PLUS loans. So uh, if you have you know been applying to colleges, you've probably seen these Parent PLUS loans before and you're probably getting bombarded with all these offers in I the mail. Parent MINUS loans, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and so it's saying, oh, hey, you know, here's this Parent PLUS loan that you could take out and your you know, payment over the first semester is just $200 a month and it's going to cover everything that you need to make up, you know, the difference of, of what you didn't get in age or aid. Um, but, you know, <laughs> And sometimes if you're you know, more short-sighted and you're just trying to think, how can I get through this semester, that might be appealing. You're like, oh yeah, 200 bucks a month. Okay, great. But what happens when the next semester comes around? Well, if you don't have any plan as to how you're going to continue paying for college past you know, the first semester, then next thing you know, that 200 a month becomes 400 a month. And then that becomes 600 a month, then 800 a month. Wow. I mean, it just can balloon. Again, like we talked about before, ballooning loans. I mean, these, this isn't ballooning. This is just stacking. But it's the same concept. And I mean, I've seen people where their parent plus loan payments uh, were approaching $4,000 a month. And it can just get wow. out of hand very, very fast. And typically, these are 10-year loans. And for most people, they're non, non-deductible. The interest so, is non-deductible in those. Okay. Yeah, wow. so I mean, really, they're they're not they're not lending you too much of a hand here with these Parent Plus loans, um, and uh, definitely something to be aware of and leery of is make sure that when you do get offer packages from college back from colleges that you're checking to see if they've worked these little Parent Plus loans into the package. Um, I've seen them packaged in ways where it actually can be really deceiving, and it looks like a Parent Plus loans actually aid because mm-hmm. they're you know they're listing line item by line item and they're saying you know this is your aid from the school um and then this is you know it'll just be like parent plus loan and they'll be like negative you know ten thousand dollars in your total thing and so it looks like oh look at they took off another 10 grand for my tuition cost but really they're just negating that ten thousand dollar loan that they just well, handed to you or something why not throw decided. a couple of payday loans on there with it you know just yeah. for fun Wow. Yeah. And so they can sometimes be disguised as a form of aid. And so be very, very mindful of that um, as you're kind of going through that through that process with Parent PLUS loans. Um, and then the fourth is uh, state government and then the colleges and universities. So fourth, fourth, fourth place that you can get money. Um, and so really, when it comes down to this, the state government, they're really not going to be giving away too much. So really, it's just the colleges and universities is where the bulk of the money you're ever going to get in this college planning process is going to come from. Uh, so it's not going to be from the state. It's not going to be from the federal government. It's going to be from the colleges themselves. So really, that's that third place that you should be spending your time. In our last episode, we talked about uh, the first two places you should be spending your time. And so the third here is looking at uh, how to get the most aid from the college or university themselves. Uh, then also, like we talked about before in our last episode, also there are those private scholarship sources. Uh, but again, that's only about two or 3% of all the aid that's even available out there. Uh, so don't spend your time you know, just looking for those little crumbs. Sweet. Great. So, you know, how do we really just get started? Let's say mom and dad are just getting down to this and making some intentionality around how we're going to pay and plan for our uh, Susie Q and Johnny Johnny Boy's uh, college, right? So uh, last time we last time I looked at this and, you know, you know these numbers might be updated since, but th- I noticed that 74% of FAFSA forms uh, were sent in incorrectly. Now, the FAFSA form uh, has to be done fully and correctly. If it's submitted n- incorrectly, oftentimes they'll push it back four to six weeks, make you resubmit, which could result in a bunch of lost financial aid. 
So October 1st is a super important day in the college planning year mm-hmm. uh, of, the sen- of the child's senior year specifically. It's like a gun goes off somewhere. And anyone who knows anything about uh, the college planning process knows that October 1st of the senior year is going to be the crucial day when all the aid becomes available for the following college year, when, it, when next fall rolls around. Mm-hmm. So what I, what I, that's what I mean by October 1st. Uh, that's when you're allowed to send in the FAFSA form. Uh, the financial aid is first come, first served. So FAFSA is the first form. There's another form, though, the CSS profile form. And that CSS profile form is a lot like uh, what a lot of private schools will want. And it's actually a lot more detailed, too. So it comes with a bunch of additional questions about your home. How much is your home worth? What do you make? Uh, what's your tax refund look like? If you've got some unusual medical expenses, it has to be consistent completely with the FAFSA because they're double-checking your math on that. Mm-hmm. And you'll have to usually pay a registration fee. And then a fee also is paid to every school that you want it sent to because they're not doing this for charity, obviously. Yeah. Um, so if you thought the FAFSA was hard, just wait till you take a look at the CSS profile. Uh, above and beyond all the paperwork, there's also another uh, stack of paperwork from specific colleges. So the colleges themselves, their institutions have their own questionnaire. They want you to answer their own personal questions uh, because it's their money on the line. And once again, it's it's got to match up with the FAFSA and the CSS, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, those are just some of the bits of paperwork. Of course, if you're a business owner, with which a lot of our clients who listen to this are business owners, or if you're divorced or separated, there's also going to be additional forms for that. Um, so just some things to kind of think about. A uh, little heads up if you are divorced. Let's say your son lives with biological mom and stepdad, and biological dad lives by himself. Uh, maybe he's not remarried, for, remarried, for example. Whose information goes on the FAFSA in that case? Uh, yep, most people would think it would be all three, right? Uh, but the problem is when you put all three parents down, that increases your income, your assets, and your family contribution. So at the end of the day, you're going to be paying a lot more for college than you should be. The way it should work is that you're supposed to put down whomever the student lives with the majority of the year, To just to kind of clarify that one, because that one gets brought up a lot. Mm-hmm. So again, an- another way of how you position things exactly. can, cr- can end up dictating how much aid you can get and how much you're el- aid, aid you're eligible for in the first place. Yeah. And really, I mean, again, you know, not all colleges are created equal also. So it's not just about um, your expected family contribution and and what your need is. It also comes down to the school itself. Um, And so they're not created equal and how they meet uh, the percentage of need that um, is seen by, you know, the people that are applying to their college. So some schools are are able to meet 100% of your need, whereas other schools may meet nothing of your need, or they might give you 30% or 50%. And you really have to know uh, what percentage of that aid they give, how much is free, how much is work study, how much is parent plus loans, look out for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you have to know all of these statistics statistics before you even apply. Wow. Because that's going to give you, you know, your best shot at knowing what to expect. How, how are parents supposed to know all this stuff? Um, like before you even apply, how is that even possible? So. Yeah. Well, I mean, we mentioned before in our previous episode that um, the reason that we offer that, you know, free uh, request a meeting on our, our website and from our kind of an open invitation with our podcast is because 
because we know that these are things that are hard to figure out. I mean, whether it's our episodes we've been talking about financial planning or even this college-specific area, uh, there's a lot of big question marks and a lot of things you're going to be uh, needing to figure out that you may not know the answers to. And, you know, that's what that's what we're here for. So we do have that free consultation. We'd be more than happy to sit down with you, go over some of these things. And actually, what's really great about it is, you know, bring in a couple of the schools that you have in mind because um, we actually have access to a proprietary software where pretty much all we do is just type in the, co- the school's name and it's going to tell us and, and some of your information. It's going to tell us, you know, based on someone with your financial situation, if your, um, you know, student has these different a- average scores at this particular school, you know, you could expect this much if you went here. And here's how much you could get in grants if you could expect to get. And here's how much in loans and work study you could expect to get at each one of these schools. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just yep. a phenomenal tool. I mean, right there, it just answered all those questions that I just went through. Yeah. Um, and again, it's imperative to know all of this in advance because that um, because what you'll find out is that you don't end up paying the sticker price. You know, most families don't actually end up paying the sticker price of the school. And oftentimes, actually, believe it or not, some of the quote unquote expensive private schools can end up costing you less than public schools. Absolutely. And we talked about this in the last episode, you know, going to a cheaper school just really doesn't need to be an option. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'd like to go into this in in a little bit of detail here. So, you know, we will call them the Jones family just for sake of uh, anonymity. But a client of ours was looking at several different schools. One was Northwestern University. The other was Kent State. No matter how bad you are at math, <laughs> you're going to realize that Northwestern tu- uh, Northwestern's tuition was about sixty-five thousand eight hundred forty-four dollars, and that's more than Kent State's twenty-five thousand four thirty. Mm-hmm. So you know, uh, now when the offer um, came back from both schools, remember the family contribution is a universal number. You know. I'm, when I apply at Kent State, I've still got the same amount in my 401k as when I apply at Northwestern. So mm-hmm. those that family contribution is the exact same. But on, on paper, these schools look very different. Absolutely. I mean, if you see mm-hmm. 65000 and 25000 you think it's a slam dunk, yep. right? I mean, obviously, I, I got to send my kid to Kent or, or Northwestern is going to bleed me dry. Uh, absolutely. So, and again, that family contribution number is kind of our starting point for the family. But you're exactly right. The, the schools are in a very different world in terms of their sticker price. So that family contribution in the Jones family situation was uh, they were going to have to come up with $7,878 at Northwestern and also at Kent because, remember, that's a universal Universal. number. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when the award offers came back, Northwestern's came back at meeting 100% of the need. Super nice. So if that family wanted to take advantage of the uh, Northwestern offer and pick that school, which they ended up doing, they'd only pay $7,878 to go there, Uh, whereas at Kent State – the need the the award offer came back at meeting only 55% of the need which was $9,653 uh, so they fell $7,899 short so their award offer if they were going to accept it was going to be added to their 7878 their family contribution plus the unmet need of 7899 so that means it would cost them 15,777 bucks to go there to the $25,000 school rather than uh, 7800 bucks to go to the $65,000 a year school. I mean, it's <laughs> kind of counterintuitive here, but, you know, it makes no sense. But, you know, we see this day in and day out. That's why you should never pay attention to the sticker price of a college. You should always be paying attention to what to the schools actually give you. Uh, what are they going to offer you? And we can offer that with the software that we use before you go through the business of applying and paying all those fees and, 
and disclosing all your financial information to 55 schools out there. Mm-hmm. So the the you know paying as low as possible for the best school possible, pick the right school, come up with a plan on how we're going to pay for it uh, without it putting you in the poorhouse. Yep. So uh, the next step after we've started making our applications for various schools is we enter into basically a negotiation with each of the universities. So now it comes down, once they send us back an award offer, again, most parents think, well, I just need to accept it. I, I got my award offer. I just got to take it this as This is all is. I can get. Yeah, you yeah. Know. So when it comes down to negotiations and how to get your college to increase your award offer, more often than not, most colleges under award. Can you imagine? Why would that be? <laughs> uh, they give you less than really you should have gotten. So if you don't know what the school's history is, you don't know what that family contribution should be or could be, then how are you supposed to know if you've got a fair offer or not? Okay, so according to Money Magazine, 65% of private schools and over a quarter of public schools engage in financial aid leveraging. And it's a process that they use by schools to determine how little aid needs to be awarded to a particular student to still get them to enroll. Mm-hmm. I think that's sleazy. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, how, how much, how little can we get by with? And they still think that it's a good deal is basically, yeah. I mean, I, I think of a car salesman when I think of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, go, it goes back to what we were talking about in our last episode where they're at the end of the day, yes, they're educational institutions, but they're businesses, you right. know, that are, are trying to increase their profit margins at every turn. And so, you know, for every dollar in aid that they don't give to your student, they can give to another student and then perhaps they can get both students to go to the college instead of just one. So, go. I mean, they're playing a numbers you know, game here. Where, and that's, that's why they're leveraging it. It doesn't make it right. Um, but I think you know people just need to realize that it's a business. Um, don't mm-hmm. take it personally. It's completely legal you, to do it. It's you know? legal. Yeah. You know, don't take it personally, but don't be afraid to fight back either yeah. and say, hey, actually, I know, you know, based on the information that we can provide you on that school, we know that you should meet 100% of need. Historically, you've been doing that and you only offered my child 75%. Mm-hmm. And then you can say, 100%, please. And they'll say, oh yeah, sorry about that. Here you go. I mean, it sometimes can right. be that simple. Sure. No, and, and you'd brought this up before uh, the podcast, Holly, but you'd, we were talking about how this is really no different than CPAs and uh, looking at tax strategies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. Um, I mean, if you're going to use a, a tax account, you're going to use a CPA to make sure you're getting the best possible you know, deal on your taxes, meaning you pay as little taxes as possible. What's wrong in you using a college specialist to make sure you're getting as much financial aid as possible? Right. Um, which in the grand scheme of things, I mean, sometimes that can be the difference of hundreds of thousands of dollars. In fact, mm-hmm. actually, um, just kind of a little case study for you guys here. Um, again, we mentioned in our last episode that we have a, a service provider that we're partnered with called the College Planning Network. And um, actually, you know, they work on these negotiations with our clients. Right. And so you just bring your you know award offer into the College Planning Network and they're going to let you know, hey, you know, is this a fair offer? And so actually, we actually had a case of this back in uh, 2009. There was a family that was awarded $13,000. They got the uh, award offer in the mail and they were like, yeah, $13,000, that felt great. Um, you know, they they thought that based on their situation, they thought 13000 was 
more than generous. Um, but actually what ended up happening once the College Planning Network looked at it and their experts um, kind of examined that school and the situation, they said, actually, no, that's not great. <laughs> mm. uh, based on your, you know, again, your situation, the school's history and everything else, using that proprietary formula we mentioned, they actually came back, they appealed the offer for the family, and they got it increased to 37600 Wow. So that's an increase of almost $25,000 a year of extra aid that that family got. And I mean, over four years, just do the math. That's $100,000 that that Mm -hmm. family ended up not having to pay to the college just because they were willing to negotiate, appeal it, and had the knowledge and, and you know the, the tools to do so. That's a big offer, obviously. And not every family is going to get that kind of a increase of aid and, and uh, work. But you know the uh, it's very common for under awards to be uh, given out. And mm-hmm. you know a college planning network, on average, I think they see something close to about forty eight hundred dollars a year of under awards per student. So that's over $20,000 over a four-year period. Yeah. So that's the money the school's trying to rip you off. You right. know, schools are trying to rip you off of five grand a year, mm. 20 grand for the four course years, yeah. you know, of the four years. Five years or six years or however long it takes to get Susie yeah, through college, right? I guess right? that's true. Wow. But I mean, yeah. that that's the money they're trying to take from you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we wanted to look at a few different uh, case studies with you guys. I hope you enjoyed those. I wanted to also briefly bring up the uh, educational laws and amendments that have recently been passed, because I think these have impacts on our, on our clients. And uh, if you're a parent of a college-bound child, uh, you want to take note of these. Uh, so the College Cost Reduction Act of 2007, the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act of 2009, and the American Opportunity Tax, ex- tax Credit Extension of 2011, all of those things have had impacts on how people pay and save and plan for college. Uh, so, you know, you want to keep your CPA, your financial planner employed, obviously. <laughs> so that's why uh, maybe these, uh, these laws have been passed. So they certainly complicate things for you and your child. So while taking advantage of these current tax laws and provisions can actually, uh, you know, take a, uh, actually cost you and reduce some of the aid you might get otherwise, uh, so, you know, for example, if you should elect to take the American Opportunity Tax Credit, mm, do you now take, uh, do you now make too much money for it? Should you refinance your house to pay for college? What are some of the restrictions of using IRA money for college expenses? These are just some of the questions that come up from all of these different acts. So you don't have to become a tax expert, but you also don't have to become a casualty of these laws and regulations. Point is, you want to really start planning early as possible and make sure you're going through any taxes and tax implications that uh, you know you might be aware of uh, that you're doing for college planning to make sure everyone's on the same page, whether it's your CPA, yourself, your spouse, uh, even your son or daughter, and your college planning specialist. Um, so if you do choose to have someone help you like ourselves, make sure you ask them these questions. One, can you show me how to lower my family contribution? Two, can you maximize uh, my eligibility for aid? Three, can you help me pick schools that will give me the best package? Meaning, you know, meet the most need, most free money I can get, less loans, that sort of thing. Can you help me fill out the FAFSA and profile forms line by line? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Uh, will a CPA really take the time on that? Uh, will you help me negotiate if I get a bad package or less than I expected from a school? Can you show me how to pay for college on a tax-favored and cost-favored basis if I don't qualify for need-based financial aid? So, you know, again, many people are wondering, well, what if I just make too much money to qualify for need-based aid? That's okay. You know, that's actually a good thing uh, that you're making a good chunk of change. Uh, 
Uh, but some of you are not going to get need-based aid, and that's just the truth. College planning is not just about need-based aid. I guess that's one of the main things we're trying to say here. It's also about other planning strategies, ways to help significantly reduce your out-of-pocket costs. There are things like cash flow strategies. How can we redirect your income? There are things like merit-based aid strategies. There are student positioning strategies. There are appeal strategies. There's many, many things you could do to lower your out-of-pocket costs. It doesn't have to be as expensive as the sticker price. Mm -hmm. uh, so you don't have to get discouraged if you're not going to get need-based aid. So what can you do? Well, that's really what we're going to get into in our next episode. Mm -hmm. Another cliffhanger. Uh, Holly, any final thoughts on this before we move on? No, I mean, I guess just the, I mean, this is a, this, I mean, just from what you're rattling off, Mark, and I mean, I, I deal with this and like my brain spinning. And so, I mean, you know, this, this is a complicated process. There's really no if, and, you know, ors or buts about it. Like it is what it is. Um, and so it's, it's important that you're keeping these things in mind, though. Don't let it overwhelm you. Um, but make sure you, you know, we're going to talk about this in the next episode, but make sure you're taking the right steps um, to put your you know, kid in the best situation possible, put you, your family in the best situation possible. And there's ways that you can do that, but we'll, we'll talk about in the next episode. So hang on to your hats. Here we go. Uh, thank you for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.